From Johannesburg to Jerusalem, the world is always changing, growing and innovating. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he brings you the trendsetters, the thought leaders and those creating news before it happens. Only on the New Blue Review, your favorite Jewish culture and current affairs show. Every Monday at 9 a.m. right here on 101.9 High FM. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program on this Monday morning. Hope you are doing absolutely fantastic out there and everything is going very, very well. Now, we have a jam-packed show for you, uh, as we always do every Monday morning. And it is very, very Israel-heavy um, because... There is uh, a lot that is going on in the Holy Land, and we thought we definitely need to uh, be finding ways to engage on that. So we're going to be talking about it, and we're going to be talking uh, about what is going on so that you can be part of the discussions, which will is kind of where we are at. So what are we talking about today? So since our slot that we had a few uh, weeks ago, with uh, Mark Oppenheimer, who is the the lawyer, we've had a lot of requests and there's been a lot of engagement on this issue of the Supreme Court in Israel. What's going on? How dangerous is it? Um, what is what is it all about? Uh, and and so we're going to go do another sort of deep dive into it uh, today and just go through all of the issues uh, that are going on at the moment particularly around the, the court and what is going on there. So that's going to be one thing. We're literally going to sit down and explain uh, just the basic, uh, just the basics around it. So that is, that is one. Number two, we are looking at the Abraham Accords and what the flight paths of airplanes tell us about where the Abraham Accords is going. Because back in the day, you only knew about an airplane when it landed or when it took off. And now with looking at flight paths, you can actually see literally diplomacy happening in real time on your cell phone. And we're going to be diving into the flight paths of various airliners to tell us what is going on in terms of the Abraham Accord. So that is number two. Then we're going to be looking at some uh, innovation from Israel. And we're also going to be talking about an Arab Africa security conference and also the story of a South African uh, who uh, went to Israel as a BDS activist and came back uh, as a uh, as, as a force for peace in the world. So that is what's coming up on the show today. We would love you to be part of the conversation. Three four five one nine. That is the SMS line, and also you can telegram us on oh six one eight nine five one zero. One nine that will assist you to be part of the conversation because these are sort of quite uh, weighty topics that we're talking about on the show today. And uh, if you have an interest in any of them, we, we'd love to hear from you. So please do give us a call and let us know what it is that you are wanting to talk to <clears throat> us about. So that is the show. Now, let's talk about the Supreme Court because that is a big deal. And it is something which we're likely to see a lot of going forward. Starting from scratch. Starting at the beginning. 
what is the issue on the Supreme Court all about? And why are there all these protests? And why are we seeing all these things going on in Israel? So Israel has a very similar democratic structure to South Africa. Uh, in fact, in some cases, it's a flatter a democratic structure. So in a place like America, for example, you have uh, the, the ability for laws to be made in cities. The various states, whether it's New York or California or, or Florida, have the ability to make laws. Then you've got the federal government that allows you to make laws. Then you have the senators and the Congress, uh, and they all make laws. And you have a, a constitution for America and you also then have a, super, uh, a Supreme Court which rules according to that rules according to that charter. And the government has to comply with any number of those interventions if it wishes to run something through through the through the, the country. If you're the president of America, you have to watch all of these things all of the time if you want to do something in the country. South Africa, we have a, a, a less hierarchical structure. We've got a parliament, and we actually technically have a, another parliament called the the, the National Council of Provinces, which is uh, currently not that important for a variety of reasons, but mark my words and listen here, within the next three or four years, I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about it, but that's a t topic for a different discussion. So we have, we have a parliament, we have elected officials, and we also have a constitutional court, which rules on issues to do with the constitution. So if the government makes a law or suggests a law which then gets passed in parliament, then people can go to the constitutional court and say, look, we feel like this is not in line with the constitution and therefore the government can't do this and, and the court can strike it down. And this is considered quite, a, quite a considerable power in, in the way that states are created. And the reason why this is created in this way is because there is what's known as a separation of powers doctrine, that it's not a good idea for the government, just because it's the government, to be able to do whatever it was once because it's in, in, in power. And in fact, it's not even a good idea just because someone is in the majority of a country to be able to do whatever they want just because they're the majority, because that could affect minority rights, uh, or they could be doing things which are blatantly against human rights, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So that's the context. Now what's going on in Israel? So what is Israel's structure? Israel has a parliament. Elected in the same way as we do, and uh, it has a government, and then pretty much that is it. There's no other real checks on on the power of of uh, of of the state to do things, except for the Supreme Court. But it has no senators, it has no second chamber, uh, it has uh, no constitution. So the, f the the structure of Israeli society is fairly flat. Now you might ask, why doesn't Israel have a constitution? And the truth is not all countries have constitutions because it's not always how all countries operate. England, for example, doesn't have a constitution, but it has many, many years worth of uh, longstanding laws and jurisprudence which it uses to operate the government, and it, it has some, some other issues. Israel was supposed to have a constitution, <clears throat> but it – it never got one because partly because it was a really difficult thing to do because Israel's a really diverse place, but also because there was a war as soon as it was created and they never basically got round to the constitution. Now, in lieu of a constitution, they did create something called a set of basic laws, which were sort of laws that were voted upon, which gave some background into 
how uh, Israel should operate and things that are sort of uh, fairly important in terms of basic human rights and basic civil liberties from the government. What the what the the basic laws didn't do was say when can the courts actually intercede to say that the government is wrong. So there are these laws, uh, some and they can be and they quite and they passed sort of fairly regularly. The one, for example, was the nation state law, quite some time a few years ago, which said Israel was a Jewish state, uh, and that that caused quite a lot of controversy at the time. But there are these laws there, and the courts will rule on. On what they they want to do because of what is in the basic laws. So that is uh, that is how the system operates in Israel. Now, in the early nineties, the court of Israel, the Supreme Court, decided that there was a need to become more uh, focused on some of the work that it had to do and be more involved in the way that it got involved with the governance of the country. Right. So it. It started, it started basically, it's what they call activism, judicial activism. So they would get involved more frequently in striking down government re- legislation. But really in the last 30 years, there hasn't been that many instances that the court has gotten involved. The places where it has gotten involved are in a few areas. So the one is uh, in, in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, uh, Palestinians are allowed to petition the court. Israelis are allowed to petition the court. Uh, it's a military control of, of those areas in about 90% of cases. And so, and so the court uh, will look at go- issues of the government and make rulings on, on things when they need to. Uh, and that uh, has been a frequent use of the court. Also, the court uh, sometimes gets approached to deal with uh, religion and state issues. Uh, I'm not saying that they've ruled on this particularly, but the famous one is the issue of uh, the buses and whether women and men should be segregated on buses and um, when things should run on Shabbat and if you should have uh, bread in hospitals on, on pa- Passover. All of these things are, are, are big deals in Israel. And, and occasionally the court is asked to deal with uh, religion and state uh, problems. Uh, and then there are also just things to do with how the government operates according to human rights. So at one stage, there was a petition from various human rights activists about how the government was dealing with people who were um, refugees coming from African countries, and there was some unhappiness in Israel about how they were being handled, uh, and the government was uh, sort of doing certain processes with migrants and uh, these groups thought that the government wasn't handling it correctly. So they took them to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled on government action. Now, what has happened over the years is that particularly the more right-wing part of Israel, and they they don't like the fact that the court keeps getting involved in these sorts of things. They feel like it is against the so-called will of the people, right, the Knesset, is supposed to pass laws, and that is supposed to represent the, the democratically elected part of of the country, and the the court is just supposed to, in their view, adjudicate on these things. And what's more, there isn't really a constitution that says where the court can get involved and where it can't. So the court basically decides itself what is important and what's not for it to get involved in. And so that uh, is something that the right-wingers don't like at all. 
The other problem with the court that particularly guys on the right uh, t- tend to feel is that the jurors sort of select themselves. So how do you select for a um, for for the court? Well, they have a hearing in the same way that we have hearings here for judges, and I th- there's a, there's a group of people, and the sort of majority of the the majority of the court is basically made up of other jurists. There are some politicians, but the majority of the court is made up of these jurists. And and if the whole judicial uh, profession, which includes the judges and the uh, National Bar Association, these sorts of people, if they all decide together that this is a particular judge that they want, that they tend to be able to get it. Um, this is a good system in some respects because because of the sort of tight margins, it means that People who are selected tend to be more independent and also more of a compromise candidate. But they also, and, and they also are not likely to be political appointees, which can be quite dangerous in a judiciary. You don't want to come up uh, uh, from a judge and you happen to know that, for example, he's a big supporter of the ANC and therefore am I really going to get a fair hearing? So Israel uh, has a system and it works quite well. The problem with the system is that effectively it's the lawyers who are selecting their own people to be judges on the bench, and that causes uh, some kind of all-boys club, which is not good for the democratic oversight of the court. Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes the bar association and the politicians can get together and kind of override the judges. So it has happened that way. And in fact, because of that, the court has become far more conservative in the last few years than it was 30 years ago. So uh it's not it's not one one way traffic but but the system is is happens in secret unlike in south africa for example where it happens in 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 the light uh in the media and, and so there's there's an argument to say that this should should be changed as well now there's a couple of other issues around uh the prosecutor in israel and whether things that prosecutorials how independent are they how Im- how much does the government have to listen to a suggestion by the prosecuting authority? Uh, these are all also up in the air. And the truth is the prosecuting authorities have been very effective in Israel. Then that's how they, for example, put an ex-president in jail. That's why the prime minister is on trial. So all of these things coming together meant that the extreme right in Israel has decided that they want to change the composition of how um, the 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 courts would operate. So one of the changes is that they uh, would like to to change how many politicians there are in the choosing of judges. Uh, I don't know if they want to make it public or not. I haven't been able to see that. But effectively, they would want to change the the process whereby uh, judges are selected essentially by other judges and, and jurists and weight that committee more in a political way. The other thing that they want to do is something called an override clause. And what the override clause would do is that if the Knesset wasn't happy with the decision of the Supreme Court, they would then have uh, the ability to uh, to look at the court's decision and try and uh, do a new law on the basis of what it's supposed to be uh, in their view. Now, there are such override clauses in places like Canada, but the threshold is very, very high. Uh, in the 80 percentiles for this sort of thing. So you would need, in other words, some opposition members to be in agreement. It couldn't just be the ruling coalition. Uh, and it's hardly ever used in Canada. And it is very unusual. We certainly don't have uh, an override clause here in South Africa. Uh, and so it would 
uh, essentially make the court a lot less powerful in the way that things get adjudicated in in Israel. And already we're seeing some of how that might work. So, for example, there was a law uh, that was passed which said that ministers that had been convicted of a crime uh, couldn't stand for office in Israel. So there was a, there's a guy, Arya Derry, who uh, is part of the Shas party. He ha- well, has a conviction of tax fraud against them. Uh, and as part of his conviction, they said, all right, you will not know. He also agreed. Uh, he'll, for, in exchange for no jail time, he will no longer be able to run uh, for office, which he agreed to. Now, with the new coalition, he decided to come back into uh, politics. And they pointed to the law and said, you can't do this because you're a convicted, uh, a convicted, I guess, felon or whatever the term is, convict. And in response, what happened was that um, the, 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 the Knesset said, all right, we're going to rewrite the law. And as we rewrite the law, we'll be able to rewrite it. So it's only for convicted felons who served jail time. Uh, and when they did this, then the, Consti- the, the Supreme Court got involved and said, guys, you can't do this. Uh, you're basically changing the law for effectively one person. And uh, it's not actually acceptable. Now, on what grounds does the court have to do this, right? No one's really sure uh, on what basis the court is allowed to get involved. But it does seem right that people who are convicted uh, of of fraud shouldn't be able to sit in, in, in the Knesset and that you can't have the Knesset writing laws just so people can be ministers in the government. And so this is like some of the tension that you're seeing. And what we're going to see in the next few weeks is a very – big overhaul bill, bill driven through um, or, or, or being driven through, through the Knesset and more and more and more protests as that go, goes along. Now, there's a question as to whether that will be successful or not. It's not clear. Uh, they may come to a compromise because of all the tension that it's causing. Uh, and, and by the way, it doesn't seem to have much to do with Netanyahu being under indictment himself. None of these changes themselves will necessarily change how his court case goes. But it might change the fact that he doesn't want the coalition to fall over some issue like this. So he will bend over backwards to let his partners keep running this pro- issue going forward so that they can stay involved uh, and he can stay uh, in power and therefore helps him to stay out of jail. So there is going to be a lot of tension expected in the next few weeks. It is going to be a big deal. Uh, uh, I know that some of the communal institutions are going to have some stuff around it. The Zionist Federation is looking at having a debate around uh, this thing, and I'm sure we'll see lots in the newspapers and whatever. So just look out for it. But that, in uh, a broad stroke, is uh, what this issue with the the Supreme Court is all about and why we're seeing so much uh, protest around it. I'd love to hear your thoughts, what you think uh how engaged are you on this debate? Where do you think it's going? SMS us, 34519, or you can telegram us on 0618951019. I am Benji Shulman, and you are listening to 101.9 Chai FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. Now, let's talk about the politics of airways. For a moment, not the politics of our airways. We have no politics on our airways. We just have fundraising drives. And by the way, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't uh, uh, made a donation to HiFM, you still can by going to the website as part of our radiothon. But no, here I'm talking about the politics of airways in the Middle East because 
for many, many years, if you ever had to fly to Israel, you will be aware of the phenomenon where you fly up through Africa and then all the way around the Horn of Africa, you kind of got to go around Djibouti and Somalia and all of those places and then into the Red, uh, the sort of Red Sea Channel and fly in a sort of very narrow band, uh, into Tel Aviv. And that's if you're flying from South Africa. If you're flying from Asia, same thing. So there you have to go around the, the peninsula, the, the Saudi peninsula and, uh, and fly around that. You can't just go through it again around and then through the, the Red Sea to Tel Aviv. And same thing from America, not so much from Europe. So whenever you see changes in the way that flight patterns are taking place, that literally means that there is a, a change in the diplomacy that's been going on. So for example, when the Abraham Accords took place, there was a flight that took place from Tel Aviv to the UAE. And if you know the map, that means that you actually have to fly through Jordan and Saudi Arabia to get there. Now, recall that Saudi Arabia doesn't have a, a peace treaty with Israel. It doesn't have – basically, officially doesn't uh, believe Israel exists. That's, uh, that's what the Saudi position is. And yet when we had the Abraham Accords and we had the, f- the first flights that were taking place to the UAE – then there was a requirement, if this was going to be sort of in any way successful, that a flight could take place over Saudi Arabia. And that is exactly what happened. And so basically uh, that happened once. Then Saudi Arabia made the, the, the concession that all countries that were part of the Abraham Accords, uh, Israeli flights could fly over there. And now basically it's just flights going to Israel from all different parts of the world. And different, a uh, um, different parts of, uh, of 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 aviation society that are flying over Saudi Arabian air, airspace. That was several uh, months ago. In fact, it was in last July when when this happened, uh, and it's uh, and it's kind of very important. Now, what has been uh, next on the agenda? So, what's interesting is the following. What's interesting is the following in that another country, again, not with ties to Israel, in fact, recently making sort of anti-Israel noises is Oman. And they have now officially opened their airways to flight to Israel. Um, this was announced by the Israeli foreign minister, um, uh, Levine, uh, the other day. And, uh, and so the first flight from Thailand has now taken off. It's flying over India through Oman. Uh, over Saudi Arabia into Tel Aviv. And that is going to cut down an enormous amount of fuel on time. And uh, particularly for uh, people coming from Asia, like in uh, China and that sort of thing, uh, it's going to make getting to Tel Aviv a lot easier. What's also interesting is that you see uh, just around the corner, you'll also see basically unannounced is occasionally flights flying from Tel Aviv over Somalia and Djibouti. Now, these are not announced. They don't really talk about them in the press. You only see them on Twitter. And, and as people, as people see them, then they sort of tend to, uh, tweet them out because it's such an unusual occurrence. And so we're starting to see planes basically for no reason flying over countries which are virulently anti-Israel, uh, at least in their official statements. So it tells you that there is shifting sands by looking at the shifting skies. Uh, and so keep watching Oman uh, and, 
and uh, Djibouti and Somalia because they are opening the skies to Israeli air traffic. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I am Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review and welcome back to the program. Now, if you are a uh, person who's interested in South Africa and in the in the issue of BDS in Israel and all these sorts of things, then I have a very heartwarming story for you, one that's been making its way around the world in the last while. I was even sent it from overseas and someone said to me, could this actually be true? Because no one was believing it. Uh, so it was a very interesting story. And so I thought I would relate it to you. And it involves a BDS activist, a guy by the name of Klaus Mokomole. And uh, he was uh, is from a, according to the story, a poor town in uh, poor town in 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 Limpopo, a village really, more than a town. And he, through uh, good hard work and uh, uh, focused uh, efforts, he made it to Wits University. And once he got to Wits, he was then uh, chosen through the ANC to be part of the SRC. Uh, elect, uh, he was elected. And, uh, he was a part of that, uh, that group of ANC, uh, students, about 15 in all, that, re- that won an election and represented the student body as the student, uh, the student governance arm, the student representative council. Whilst he was on SRC, some people from BDS came to him and said to him, we're going to show you a movie. And the movie was called Israel Apartheid, Israel 101. And what it was all about was, as you might, not, might be unsurprised, about um, the apartheid analogy and Israel. So having done that, the, the, the SRC, uh, and with a bit of promise of uh, some funding, it seems, uh, put together a, a resolution saying that they were going to boycott Israel. And... That is exactly what they did. Now, as they put together that resolution, it happened to be that an Israeli pianist was coming to play on the campus that uh, that sort of week that they had passed, or within the months that had passed that resolution. And the SRC decided that they didn't want to stand for this, and they uh, they were going to make sure that this thing was prevented. And they organized a protest, and then they stormed the venue. And this... Uh, created a, um, a, a complete scene. The, the 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 pianist had to be evacuated. Uh, all the people in the in the audience had to um, had to leave, and uh, a, a lot of people were very very upset by the whole thing, uh, including a lot of uh, upset music students. The university, to their credit immediately took quite a lot of action. They said that uh, we don't care what your political views that you can protest if you want, but if you disrupt these sorts of things, we're going to take action. And they immediately put all of these SRC members on suspension and put them through a legal process. And at this point, Klaus Mokomole started to rethink what he was doing because obviously it's a big deal to get to university. And, it's a, and if you lose that opportunity as a young person from Limpopo, that is a, a real blow to your life chances. And so he started asking himself, why is it that I'm doing this particular action when uh, I don't really know much about it? And so he started trying to do research about the history of the Middle East conflict, 
um, and and the Israelis and the Palestinians and what happened. And he just got more and more and more confused because if you've ever tried to research this kind of stuff, uh, then it can be extremely, extremely confusing. So having learned some things about what was going on and armed with a little bit of knowledge, he then took up the opportunity to speak to and go to Israel on a tour that was being run um, by a, a local group that does these sorts of things. And off he went to Israel, being very, very skeptical of what he was going to say, because, or see rather, because obviously he wasn't going with the BDS delegation, he was going with some other people. And off he went. And they tell the story in some of these articles about how he arrived in the airport and uh, he got to the airport and he saw the, the security guard there and he said to the security guard, look, uh, I need to please show me the toilet because uh, I need to go to the toilet uh, for, for, for black people. Because in his mind, Israel as a, was an apartheid country and therefore he was sort of has to go to, as it was under apartheid, a toilet for black people, a toilet for white people. Now, of course, the guard in Mingarin had no idea what he was talking about. He was 18 years old. Uh, he had never heard of such a thing. Probably barely spoke English. And he said, look, I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, there's the toilet. Go and use it. So Klaus goes off to the toilet. And there in the toilet, he sees not only uh, Jewish people, but also uh, Arab Israelis also <laughs> going to the bathroom. Uh, at the same time. And for him, this was an absolutely revelatory uh, moment and completely changed his perspective on what was going on in the country. And uh, he then went on uh, to go and uh, see uh, everything that he was doing and and, uh, and understand the country more in depth. And when he came back, uh, he was actually hauled into Lutuli House by the ANC. It was, it was a big hullabaloo and it was in the newspapers and he was sent to... Uh, 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 the Tuli House to go and uh, account for what he had done, and they, they tried to throw him out the ANC, although it didn't work. Uh, and he event went on to to found an organisation called Africans for Peace. Uh, and Africans for Peace uh, actually tries to bring together people in dialogue, not only uh, on the issue of Israel, but here in South Africa, for youth groups, etc., to try and find ways uh, that people can come together to solve problems. And that uh, is all. That is his story, uh, and you can read about it uh, if you want. Uh, if you just type in Klaus Mochamole, uh, and you will see it come up in a few different uh, newspapers. But an interesting South African story about going and seeing and doing, and uh, being part of uh, every, uh, being part of the solution, as opposed to being part of the problem. And a really, really interesting article, uh, and well worth reading. So. Uh, I would encourage you to do it. I'm Benji Shulman, and this is 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I hope that you are great out there and that uh, you are avoiding the load shedding. I have to say I was looking at <laughs> what has been going on, and I couldn't help thinking about Captain Sunshine, uh, Yossi Abramovitz, who's been bringing solar-powered energy to African states all over the continent. Uh, I think he has an array in uh, Rwanda, and they've been working on a couple of others in, in some other countries. And uh, it just seemed to me that uh, it's very, very interesting how some of the cities are starting to look 
at alternative energy uses. In fact, Cape Town in particular has already looked at alternative energy in, in the form of the Steenbrust Dam, which is a hydroelectric system. Basically, during when there is electricity, they pump water up to the top of the dam, and when there isn't, then they pause out again, and that turns a turbine. And it means that in Cape Town you have two levels less of load shedding than the rest of the country. Uh, but now they have even uh, gone further and they've uh, putting out to tender IPPs so that uh, they can do potentially solar power, which will come onto the grid. And in fact, if you go to the town of Darling, uh, which is up the coast uh, in, in, in the Western Cape, they have wind power and the wind power actually uh, does a lot of work in bringing uh, electricity to Cape Town. And so solar power for cities could be a, a very important part of the way that cities are able to deal with the problems that ESCOM are throwing at us at this very, very moment. So I think that is very interesting. And Yossi Abramovitz, uh, known as Captain Sunshine for his work, started out his career in a uh, in a uh, in, a, in, a, in a solar field in in Keturah in Israel in the Negev, and it took him years and years and years to get um, to get the solar field in Israel working because he had to get through so much bureaucracy. Uh, there were literally dozens of different uh, Israeli agencies who had to get permissions from, and uh, and eventually he did. And then he he realized that if there was good support for this in Is- in, in in Israel, then maybe it could work in Africa, and so. Um, he's been very, very prominent in helping to work this issue in Rwanda as well. So, excuse me. Um, so it's interesting to see what can be done with solar uh, in in these type of situations, uh, and how it could potentially work for for urban areas where we're trying to reduce reliance on ESCOM, uh, and it could be uh, it could be very, very helpful. So, I think that is an interesting. Uh, a phenomenon and one which we could definitely pay more attention to here in South Africa. I mean, I don't know if you've been to the Northern Cape lately, but basically it's just, it's not, to be honest, a hell of a lot there. Uh, and so you, if we could cover it with solar panels and get the transmission lines that we need to move it onto the national grid, it could be uh, an absolutely fantastic opportunity to really get us off this load shedding. And uh, there are some very good Israeli examples about how uh, that is possible, uh, so I think that uh, we should be we should be being alive to that uh, possibility because I think it is an important one. And it brings us to the alive possibility that we are heading off to the end of the show for today. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really do appreciate it, and thank you to the whole team who helps put it together. To Craig, who pushes all the big red buttons. Uh, Mashadi, who does some of our production. Vusi, who's on the sound center, who's the big production person. Uh, and Kathy, who sort of mostly runs the station uh, when she's not also on air. Uh, and to you, dear listener, who joins us every single week. And do join us again next week on the New Blue Review.